Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science. This week, we discuss the science and business of vaccine development we found some very encouraging results. The people in the highest dose group with an adjuvant had a 90% reduction in their viral counts compared to the non-treated group. And we hear how electronic smart skin will provide a new way to monitor the human body. Patients may someday monitor their heart rate and vital signs with a small ultra-thin device that sticks to the skin like a temporary tattoo. I'm Clive Cookson, and you're listening to FD Science. My colleague Andrew Jack, FT Pharmaceuticals correspondent, is here with me. And our special guest this week is Gregory Stoloff, chief executive of a London-based biotech company called Seek, which specialises in immunology. Last month, you announced some encouraging results from an early clinical trial of a vaccine against HIV. Perhaps you could start by telling us about your vaccine and how it works. We uh, conducted a phase two trial in HIV-infected people that were antiretroviral naive, so they were early diagnosed people. The trial was with 55 patients, conducted in six centers in the UK, and the vaccine was a one-shot vaccine given to these people, and we looked at the safety results from that vaccine and also efficacy results looking at reductions in viral counts and changes in their CD4 counts which determine if the people would improve after the vaccine and um, be better off from the disease they were suffering. And what did you find? We found some very encouraging results for the first time trial with a non-optimized vaccine and just with one shot. We found that the people in the highest dose group with an adjuvant had a 90% reduction in their viral counts compared to the non-treated group. Now, there are a large number of groups, both in universities and in companies, trying to find an HIV vaccine that will work. How does yours fit into all that other research going on around the world? The main difference is that we have a technology based off a very detailed understanding at the micro level of the immune system which enables us to determine which small parts of proteins the immune system is able to recognize and which would be very reactive. The virus normally has a natural evading mechanism where they trick the immune system to memoring the wrong parts, the parts that are very variable. And most of the other vaccine technology today, by using DNA delivery and antibody approaches, they tend to deliver the whole proteins, which also trick the immune system by producing much more variable portions than the conserved. What we do is we synthetically manufacture only the conserved regions, and we only deliver that to the immune system in large quantities. 
So we tell the immune system what to remember. We don't let the immune system make its own mind up what to remember. Andrew, what do you make of SEEK's technology in the clinical trial? The problem is when it, talking to people in the field, I mean, they scratch their heads a bit because, you know, obviously there's so little data at the moment that's out there from this trial. I mean, it's not been presented at conferences. It's not been published yet in peer review. And, you know, they're saying it's a relatively short period that the trial went on in a relatively small number of people. So it's quite difficult. I don't know what your feeling is, but just about this sort of, you know, how much you can say and how confidently, given how little is out there yet at the moment for the broader scientific community to analyse. The results came out in between opportunities to present at conferences. The main conference was running in Rome at the time the results came out, so we just wanted to announce it at that time. But it has been sent off for peer review, and we hope to have that peer reviewed in the next few months. And we will be presenting the data at conferences, but the number of people in the trial was statistically calculated, and the results were statistical results. And so we're very confident that these results are very good results and, and show the true outcome. And to be clear, you said there's a 90% reduction compared to placebo for the entire six-month duration of the, uh, of the period of test? Yes, that's correct. And what's the, what's the reaction from investors? How difficult is it to raise funds for something like this at the moment? We're not seeking public monies or listing monies, as would have been the case in the prior years before the market situation. But we're talking to the main funding organisations like the IRVs and the Gates Foundation and the NIH, and they're looking at it very seriously to put funding in to take it forward. And then we're also talking to collaborators, the main pharmaceuticals who are interested in the vaccine space. So you don't yet have private equity or company investment or commitments yet around uh, the funding? or We've been funded um, since inception through private equity means, and that's enabled us to take the vaccines ourselves to this stage. But now to take to the final stages, we need the bigger funding and bigger collaborators. How much money have you raised and will you need to raise, do you think? To date, we've raised about £20 million to enable us to take all our projects forward. To take an HIV forward to Phase 2B and Phase 3 would cost about £30 to £50 million. And if it does work, how would this vaccine be used, do you think, out in the real world? There's two approaches with this vaccine. One we find very exciting, which is therapeutic approach, so that's giving it to people that are only are diagnosed with HIV early on, or giving it as a prophylactic ultimately to protect people from getting it in the future. The first one would be a therapeutic that we'd bring to market. The reason why that would be so beneficial is the cost of taking antiretrovirals every day of your life is very great, and Africa cannot afford to give it to all their people, giving those costs. But you've also got compliance issues, and you've got um, issues with resistance building up by taking a drug every single day. So if you could just have a vaccine once or twice in your life and not have to take those drugs but not go towards AIDS, then that would be very beneficial to the community. And what's the driving force been scientifically? I mean, obviously, there's a huge number of researchers over the years who've been looking at uh, vaccine candidates, but without any success. Where's, where's your key person been, as it were, who's come up with this where's idea? The, what's the... Does it come out of universities? No, it comes out of a concept of mine about the detailed workings of the immune system, which um, I was started to be trained as a Bachelor of Science in doing a neurosurgery. And then for family reasons, I had to change to a more shorter career, and I went into finance and banking. But through all that time, I kept myself abreast and self-educated. 
And I had this concept of how the immune system would work at the micro level. There's big theories out there in the immune system, clonal energy, clonal deletion, but no one tells you the actual detailed working mechanisms of every cell and the interactions. I had a theory about that, and then I went and employed people seven years ago, key leading scientists um, from King's College and Imperial College, PhDs in immunology, that came in and looked at the theory, greatly modified it, threw out lots of it, adjusted it, and um, resulted in the, the product we have today, which enables us to find these vaccine components very quickly and very accurately for the whole population. And that's been shown in animals and human data now that that validation is correct. Yes, it's an unusual model. And I can see why in a world that's conventional, people might be sceptical, but we'll know soon enough, well, maybe not soon enough, we'll know in a few years how well it's working. Now, it's time for our monthly contribution from AAAS and Science Magazine. Over to Nadia Ramligan in Washington. Thanks, Clive. Take a quick walk through a hospital, and you're likely to see patients hooked up to diagnostic machines with clamps and wires, bulky electrodes and tape, and even needles. But patients may someday monitor their heart rate and vital signs with a small, ultra-thin device that sticks to the skin like a temporary tattoo. I'm talking with John Rogers, engineering professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, who's part of a team that has designed this device. Your device sticks to the skin by weak forces called van der Waals forces. Could you explain these forces and the role they play in keeping the device glued to the skin? Van der Waals forces are very generalized physical interactions that happen between two substances when they're brought into very close proximity. So these forces are present almost independent of the detailed chemistry of the materials. You see it in action in the world around you. One prominent example is in geckos. So they can walk on surfaces and on ceilings by virtue of van der Waals interactions between pads on their toes and contacting surfaces. So these forces can be significant. They require, however, intimate contact between the materials. And that kind of contact happens between our epidermal electronics and the skin because the electronics are supported on a very soft film of a silicone rubber that can conform to the relief of the skin. So this device basically looks like a temporary tattoo. It's an ultra-thin circuit of tiny electronic wires that gets fixed to the skin. And you actually tested this device on volunteers. We used electrode pads and, in some cases, local amplifying elements to measure electrical signals associated with contraction of skeletal muscles in the leg, the forearm, and the throat area to measure activity of the heart, beating of the heart, using devices mounted onto the chest, and then thirdly, to measure brain activity with devices laminated onto the forehead. And what we're able to show is that the signals recorded in that way with this form of electronics have similar quality to those that are recorded using more conventional point contact electrode pads that are affixed to the body using conductive gels and or adhesive tapes. So we want to just demonstrate functionality and ability to, to measure these important signals. Finally, are there any other possibly non-medical uses for this device that you can envision? We're focused mostly on healthcare related. We think they're the most compelling opportunities are there, but we did demonstrate, for example, a computer game controller. So a device that goes onto the throat, you speak 
different commands, the signals that are recorded from that device go to a software pattern algorithm, a pattern recognition algorithm that spits out commands to uh, computer games. I, I think you know, creative people out there might be able to uh, contribute ideas we hadn't thought of. That's John Rogers from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For AAAS, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. Back to you, Clive. Thanks, Nadia, and thanks to the AAAS and to science. What John Rogers didn't say in that interview is that he has set up a spin-out company to exploit this idea of smart skin and epidermal electronics. Now, maybe it's unfair to ask you, Greg, because you haven't heard about this before, but does this appeal to you? Does this technology appeal to you as an ex-banker who's fascinated by technology and science? It does. It could be greatly beneficial in an intensive care environment without having all those wires and tubes on people, as he explained. It looks great. It's been pretty heavily funded by the U.S. National Science Foundation as well. Andrew, what do you make of it? No, it's a great idea if it can if it can work. I mean, it looks certainly much more lightweight and, and easy to use than a lot of the traditional monitoring apparatus and so on. And as Nadia was saying at the end, OK, healthcare first, but... If it can be used to transmit your thoughts to a computer, that could be wonderful for the entertainment business too. I'm afraid I think that's all we've got time for today. Next week we're taking another holiday break, so please join us again in a fortnight for more fascinating news from the world of science and technology. Many thanks to Greg Stoloff and Andrew Jack for joining me today, and thank you for listening. FT Science was produced by L.J. Filatrani. I'm Clive Cookson. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.